are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. This spicy episode of Rootbound is brought to you by Red Hot Chili Peppers. They were the fruit of the capsicum genus long before they were a band. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I'm the host of the show, and my name is Steve. And Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. And each week, I invite a guest who joins me on the show to share with us all about a plant that means something to them. And then I share with the guest about a plant that means something to me. And through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. It is the philosophy of Rootbound that everybody has at least one plant that is meaningful to them because plants are so integral to our lives as humans on this planet. We've been doing the show for uh, over two years now and it's pretty cool now that um, I'm able to bring back repeat guests every now and then and and it's been over a year since I've talked to this uh, guest we're gonna have today and that guest is Mallory O'Donnell and uh, actually Mallory was one of the first people I kind of just cold reached out to at the beginning of the show and said hey do you want to come talk on this little plant podcast about plants and he was um, so gracious of joining me and talking about milkweed which I learned so much about that plant and I also uh, I also learned a lot from Mallory about uh, uh, the philosophy of foraging in general and he's a really great uh, guest and a, a really great person to know regarding plants so it's really cool to be able to have him back on the show now we're going to learn from him about some more foraging facts. So uh, welcome back, Mallory. Hey, Mallory, thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Hi, Steve. How's it going? I'm very happy to be back. Yeah, it's really great to have you back, and uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about a plant. Uh, and which plant did you choose to tell us about today? So I chose, well, <laughs> so I chose Daylily, but uh, we'll find out that's a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> but uh, okay, prim- primarily I'll be talking about uh, Hemerocallis fulva, which is the, uh, usually it's called the tawny daylily or the orange daylily or, uh, less flatteringly the ditch lily. Okay. Is it, okay. I was going to, so I, I have some daylilies that pop up in my yard every year. Um, is that the kind of most common one when we, th- when we think of daylily daylilies and we see them like in the summer, is that, is that the one we're talking about? Yeah. Especially it's the one in our rough neck of the woods, you know, Eastern U S and central U S that you see, um, in large colonies along roadsides, as well as in the garden. Mm -hmm. Um, there are a huge variety of daylily cultivars and hybrids, and there's also different species that people grow. They're probably one of the most popular perennial plants, uh, in, in gardens across the world. They're, they've, they've kind of taken Mm -hmm. over and, what we have uh, as the wild form is it's largely sort of clonal organizations of an original 
Orange Daylily, which may or may not have been the cultivar called Europa, which uh, has flown the coop and likes to grow in large masses, uh, especially in drainage areas and along the side of the road. It likes slopes and it likes uh, light shade, so it'll it'll kind of be happy and and uh, and it'll be happy in pretty shoddy ground. So it doesn't really need uh, it, you know, a huge amount of nutrients from the soil it's it's pretty adaptable to you know poorer soils to rockier conditions sandier conditions it's a it's a it's a real uh you know um uh non-particular plant in terms of where it will grow interesting there's a number of things i think you said there that that uh, i want to get back to but but first before we get too much i want to know why you chose this uh plant and why is it meaningful to you yeah, um, it, it's kind of a classic foraging plant. It shows up especially in older huh. books. It's talked about a lot, but it's kind of fallen out of favor uh, in recent years. It's not, you know, if you get a newer book on foraging or a wild food cookbook, they might be mentioned, you know, they may be used a little it's, bit. Wait, it's, not, ed- it's edible? They're not. Yeah, it's like eminently edible. It's got, you know, four edible parts, uh, basically. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's and so it's interesting. I, I, so I, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's ah. not something that, um, can be, uh, you know, it, it, collecting it doesn't really damage the original organism, which, you know, is, is either a, a boon or a curse, depending on whether you're removing invasive daylilies or you're just eating things from your garden. Um, I think part of the reason why it hasn't been used as much lately and isn't talked about it as much as that it's a little bit complicated in terms of what say just saying daylilies are edible isn't really clear enough there are so many mm. hybrids now and so many different um deviations from the original genetic material that it's not exactly 100% sure what is and isn't edible except that there are a number of documented species that are eaten in East Asia and it was originally grown for food and medicine before it became a popular ornamental plant. So we can kind of trace back the safer species to that point of origin. And then also the tradition of eating the feral, you know, Europa clones that grow all, all pretty much everywhere in you know, our part of the world. That's a pretty strong tradition as well. Okay. Well that, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, well that that uh, that solves that that solves the question when you told me you wanted to talk about daily. I was like, oh, that, you know, Mallory's known for like the being the forger guy, and I had no clue that it was edible. So yeah. I was wondering <laughs> if there was something else, but that's that's super fascinating. Yeah, it's it's very edible. The um, the buds of the flowers are probably the most enjoyed part and most celebrated. If you um, have traditional hot and sour soup, it often has the dried daylily flowers in it. They they're sometimes called. Uh, uh, Jinzen or golden needles in Chinese cuisine. Um, mm. Yeah, they're 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 very interesting dried and drying deals with the other issue, which we can come to at some point, which is that some people do have uh, issues processing daily raw. It can cause a stomach upset. It's not mm. really toxic, but it's uh, it can cause gastrointestinal issues. From what I've seen, most of that is mm. due to eating huge amounts of the raw daily, so cooked. It seems to be mm-hmm. fine for most people. 
I also think it's possible there are some people that are just intolerant or have a food allergy because, you know, like all these wild foods, the food allergies aren't documented because, you know, people don't have, aren't eating them under the same circumstances and no one's trying to sell them or market them. So they're not researched in the same way as like other common food allergens are. But I think it's primarily poor preparation and it could also be, again, back to the species thing of case of using maybe a hybrid whose origins are uncertain, but... Um, there are also a few species that are edible. Like the the one that's most prized, in the several that are cooked most widely in China are not, none of them is the one that we eat, Hemerocallis vulva. But they are grown here. So, like Hemerocallis citrina, which is the really tall, kind of lemony yellow uh, daylily, which is really beautiful. And that actually does really well up here. I've been seeing it a lot since I moved. Um, but the most common one is seems to be offshoots of that original those original plantings and those original uh species but they will spread and who knows so my general advice as far as people listening that might try to eat a daily is don't eat the ones from your garden unless you know exactly what species they are the wild ones would be where you would start to experiment and then they would have to be clearly the the tawny which is the orange hemorrhoidalis vulva which is it's not as hard to identify as you might think it's the one that's kind of wild, widely distributed. Um, a lot of the cultivars are just generally going to be maybe in someone's landscaping or close to it. Very interesting. Okay, well, I want to get into like how to eat it a little bit more. You mentioned the the, the, the buds and, and, and things like that. But the, the one thing you mentioned when you were first talking about it that caught my interest was um, that it's a clonal and like all the daylilies out there, like how, how is it reproducing um, in that way to like spread so widely? So it's primarily spreading by the, the tuberous roots. Um, if you have a, like if you have, if you grow daylilies in your garden, you'll often get advice to thin the plants in fall, uh, preferably fall. Um, but some people can do it in the spring, just depends. And what you usually do is actually a lot of people will advocate doing what I do, which is you dig the whole plant up and then you separate out the roots. I do that partially so that I can eat them. Um, so I'll take the, the bigger, fuller, fatter, juicier ones, and I'll replant the more damaged or slightly withered ones. And usually I'll you know just a, another flush of the greens and the and the flowers in the in the spring and summer. But the um, the tubers themselves are one of the edible parts. They're kind of like a oh cool potatoy thing. You can't peel them; they're too small. Um, so Obviously, I don't really advocate eating the wild <laughs> tubers, especially considering where daylily tends to grow. But when you can grow the edible varieties, which there's many species that are well-documented as edible, you can kind of pick and choose. And you can, you know, when you're replanting, you can use the tubers. So that's more of like a eat the landscaping kind of thing than a wild food kind of thing. But it's definitely... And, and that's because you'd be worried about the, the contamination from the kinds of... Ditches yeah, they tend yeah. to grow in. Yeah, questionable soil pretty much is, is it, and questionable surface, you know, spraying or, you know, a lot of the places that I might collect the buds from or the greens from, I would be, you know, would be more questionable. They could be near, you know, runoff or other areas where that where it's really going to concentrate in the tuber. Um, whereas these softer parts that you're cooking anyway, I'm not, I'm not as I wouldn't be as concerned about that. Obviously, I wouldn't 
collect them at all from something. You know, I wouldn't go to a super fun site and pick data for this. I don't, I don't <laughs> probably most plants <laughs> you probably want yeah. to avoid, I think. Yeah. Site. <laughs> I think collecting garbage is the best thing you can do to a site like that. Yeah. This yes. is so interesting. I mean, uh, so we'll talk about the plant that I, I chose in a minute, but the I knew there was some similarities, but there's even more than I thought. Uh, so it, oh, that's cool. Because I actually, I chose the plant that I chose also to hear what you have to say about it. So anyway, foreshadowing enough. Uh, let's talk about, let you, let's you let's talk about, I know you talked about the, the buds, you talked about the roots. Let's just kind of maybe start again and go through all the different edible parts of this plant and yeah, kind of how you sure. eat them. Okay, so... The most, I would say, and say, the safest and most popular part would be the unopened flower buds. So when you see it, a daylily, which um, they don't really just bloom for a day, and that's kind of the common conception about them, but they some of them bloom for three days, some of them two, some of them one, some of them will open very briefly and then wither if the conditions are right. But generally speaking, they pop the little sort of yellow green nuggets <laughs> of buds up and then they open those um, and then they close. And when they close, they are noticeably sort of withered or dried a bit. Um, and they, it'll bloom for many weeks throughout the summer. That's kind of part of why they're so popular. They put off successions of blooms uh, unless they're eaten by the deer, which is extremely common. They're, they're, they're like deer candy. They'll eat the new shoots and they'll eat the, Um, the, uh, so that, that bud is the sort of the, the main one. They're sometimes sold, uh, dried before they open and sometimes they're sold after they open. Um, and that's the golden needles. They are, when they're unopened, they're very crisp and they're kind of, they have like a spicy green bean kind of flavor, uh, a little sweet too. Um, they're actually more nutritious than green beans, uh, which is interesting. They have, uh, more protein, um, and the trace vitamins and things that are in green beans, they're all present in daily buds to larger amounts. Um, they're pretty quick cooking for me, but I don't have any stomach issues with daily. I can eat daily raw. It doesn't bother me. Some people, I always advise like well cooking them at first, but that's kind of true of any wild food. Um, those are probably to- totally one. when you, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say when you, when you, when you brought that up earlier about cooking, I feel like, um, correct me if I'm wrong. This is my, this is my opinion, but see what you think about it. I feel like we're kind of like spoiled by eating f- vegetables and plants raw mm-hmm. because we've cultivated plants for so long, but like wild plants are kind of different and they haven't been selectively bred to be like nice to our tummies. <laughs> and so like cooking is, I think a, a pretty yeah. good idea for a lot of yeah. things. And, and a lot of them we're not used to. I mean, it's one thing to eat a variety of wild mustards. Your stomach's not going to be confused by that. It's going to be the same compounds that are, sure. in, you know, kale or whatever, but the, but something like a day lily is, is going to be a little unusual. So I think, you know, wh- with anything like that, you know, I mean, it, I wouldn't go eat a new kind of food. That was a, celebrated world cuisine without you know i wouldn't go on a three-day <laughs> bender of eating everything from it without you know <laughs> giving my body some time to go hey wait a minute you know um but yeah you know then that's true especially of new ingredients especially now that we're you know our science is so much more advanced in terms of food allergies we're much more aware of the fact that there's a lot of things out there and there's i'm sure a lot more to discover and i think we'll find some of these reactions that people have to 
to different unfamiliar ingredients or to wild foods are, are you know, there's an allergic component that might be playing a role. Um, so we were talking about the parts, right? <laughs> Yeah, correct, yeah. correct. As Sorry, usual, tangent. I went off on a little, <laughs> little dance. Um, I love yeah, those. so the those are the most reliable. That's where I always recommend people start. The other thing that I um, – so the flour itself also, when it's open, you can eat. And that I find most people can eat raw. I haven't really encountered too many people who – I mean, I, I wouldn't – you wouldn't really want to eat huge handfuls of the flowers raw, but they're nice in salads and things like that. So the unopened flour mm-hmm, – mm-hmm. The, when the flower is opened, has opened and is closed again and is kind of withered or soft, it's very easy to tell just by feeling it. They're, they don't feel like a vegetable anymore. Um, that's, those can be dried, uh, and that's the golden needles. Usually they'll be un, sold in a dried form, and you usually add them to a soup. You can reconstitute them in water and then cook them. Those, I always find, are better. Do cooked. they like... Go ahead. I'm thinking of the plant itself. Did like the petals kind of like break apart into like thin strands? Like I'm thinking, why is it called golden needles? I think it's because of how it looks while it's dried. Actually, there's a, you know, I think there's actually a more, a, a more concrete reason for this. And of, of course, it's one of the things I didn't uh, bone up on when we're, when I was getting ready. Um, I think there may be a different That's okay, for that. The, the, it may simply be how the, as when the flower is folded, the, the, purportedly the version that or the species that is uh, popular in china is the citrina which is the golden it is it's like that pale yellow lemon yellow one so i can kind of see how if you mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. took the the petals in your hands they would be kind of they're kind of long and pointy and they're it's a it's sort of a narrower uh you know more delicate shape than the and and larger and longer shape than the, the regular orange daylilies so perhaps it's that, uh, but I they see. do kind of have like a, a golden brown kind of look when they're dried too. They, or they, they can be a little darker, but usually they have kind of a deep coloration. So, um, now there's probably some other completely different reason for that. And I'm just spouting nonsense right now, but that is a thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. The, the audience can also Google that. And we're not afraid to tell the audience. Yeah, right. yeah, on the show. That is a, they have us at that advantage. Um, so, so those, the flowers are kind of a, they're like a fun, you know, I, I could put them in spring rolls. They have kind of a mild, slightly bitter, slightly nutty flavor. They're not floral tasting, really. They're, they have that kind of sharpness that a lot of flowers do, um, you know, where they're kind of you know, yeah, just a little slightly bitter uh, in an unusual way. Um, but, they're, but they're great in, you know, as just something you toss into dishes. Um, the, the buds are much more complex in flavor and definitely more substantial. They're more, more like a vegetable. Um, the other parts would be the tubers, which I mentioned, and those uh, definitely should be cooked. Those should definitely be cooked. They're not, mm-hmm. I, I, they're not really worth eating raw. Um, and they're, and they're very good roasted. They're very nutty. They have a, people always say like, they're like little mini fingerling potatoes. They're not really, but they, they kind of have a, a sweeter, nuttier flavor. Um, but they're they're really good roasted, and you just how, eat them whole, um, provided of course. How would you how would you compare them to uh, sunchokes? They're definitely different from sunchokes. They're not that kind of. Um, uh, watery, fibrous kind of the you know, and they mm-hmm. definitely don't have tons of inulin in them, so they're not going to make you have you know intense gas attacks. 
uh, or make some people sure. intense gas <laughs> attacks. Now they may cause now because of the daily they may cause you know gastrointestinal issues, but that's for each person I think to figure out. And I think starting with like a for flower sure. or a bud is a much better way. Um, plus, it's you know much less time consuming and tedious. Um, a big part for me of the daily though is the shoots. Um, they will become tough after they've been out of the ground and have reached a certain height and whatnot and age. But in this, in the early spring, they're one of the first greens, um, that comes out, you know, in the garden or in, in your home, they'd be pretty early shoots. They're going to be, you know, after the daffodils and things like that. And after the crocuses, but they'll start to emerge in the early spring or mid spring, depending on where you are. And they're, they look kind of like, I always think of them as like a leak that was fanned out into the shape of kind of a trident or like a, they're, they sort of droop kind of like if you've ever taken a leak and like you, you cut it down the middle and separate it like a fan, it looks kind of similar. They have a real, like oh, a, white, yeah. a white core. They're kind of, um, ra- you know, uh, um, layered a bit like a, like an onion is or a leek is. Um, so the, you know, but they're, but they're primarily going to be, they'll be white, like where the, the ground is covering them or where the, um, you know, where they're, they're shaded a bit, uh, at the, at the core of the, of the, you know, the top of the, the root tuber. And I usually collect them probably, you know, when they're a couple inches tall to maybe five inches tall, something in that neck of the woods, they have a real interesting flavor it's definitely not strong like a strong green it's very mild they actually do have kind of a leaky flavor like a very slight savory oniony mushroomy thing going on um what's really weird is because mm. um, i grow them i would uh, especially where i uh, just moved from my mom was wild about the Italy, so we had tons of varieties um if you get real close to where the tuber is like if you kind of dig around the base of it a little bit and you cut it like right off at where the tuber forms that little the little bottom half an inch of it has a taste that's a little bit like white truffle oil which sounds super oh, weird wow. but I, I can't shake that association i mean i know white truffle oil is awful and no one should eat it but it has that kind of a flavor like a weirdly almost artificial but like mushroomy like there's a there's a, a mushroomy flavor to it which is really unusual and they wow. go really well with mushrooms um the greens i like to use i stir fry them with like tofu and uh, woodier mushrooms or you know any kind of mushroom that might be in season at that time of the year um they're they're really fantastic like that kind of a yeah just like a stir fry a quick cook um my other favorite thing to do with the greens is to make daylily kimchi which is a staple uh here it's just daylilies and the salt and spices aminos whatever ginger and garlic and, and, and that's with the shoot specifically and that's what it's with the shoot specifically that you yeah do that's with, with just the greens the shoots you can make it with the flower buds too it's it's good with the flower buds but i always do it with the i make a big batch of it with the greens um every year and it's just i never make enough it's it's, it's really fantastic but it has a really a, a very unique flavor i mean i i i've brought like last year at new moon the uh, mycology fest i brought a bunch of wild food to sample for a wild food fermentation class and i've brought it to other events i've done and shared it with other people and i always get one person always has the same 
reaction, which is this doesn't taste like anything I've ever tasted before, <laughs> which is, I think, pretty, wow, pretty high praise for a plant. I think that, you know, we were, we're so inundated with different kinds of vegetables and greens that we've all eaten at this point. If we're cuisine curious, that that's always kind of a cool thing. Um, and it does, it's, it's like savory in a real interesting way. It doesn't have a lot of the sort of, um, the qualities of greens that people don't like as much. Like it has a more interesting texture. Um, again, kind of like a leek, kind of like a real briefly cooked leek. Um, that kind of, it's, it's like slightly chewy, but in a good way. Um, wow. But, okay. So this is very inspiring because yeah, I, well, I have to double check on the identification cause, but I, I'm pretty sure I have these daylilies in my yard, but okay. Yeah. Let me ask you a couple questions. They are orange, mm -hmm. um, but they are also in the same area where I'm pretty sure somebody planted uh, daffodils and crocuses are kind of on the edge of this driveway. Mm -hmm. So they, they look like they were planted. So what can I do to like know that these are, that I should experiment with these? Uh, you mean how to differentiate them from the other shoots? Yeah. Well, they're going to be later. Yeah. Or to different. Yeah. And the other shoots, but no, how, how did. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. How do I make sure that they're like a daylily that I should try to eat and not some, you know, cultivar that somebody planted? So um, this is a. Is good, it really just the color or is there anything else that you look for? That's a great question because it actually sort of ties back to a, a broader issue with foraging, which is I something that I always recommend to people, especially if they're really not that plant savvy, um, which is that which is not to imply that you aren't plant savvy, <laughs> but, but, um, that, well, I'm, I'm working it, on it. <laughs> you, you're the fact that you are so open about how you learn is one of the things that makes the show great. <laughs> I mean, I really enjoy that. Oh, you're thanks, just thank very you. honest about it. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. And I mean, I, I think also those of us who do anything with plants know that none of us are ever going to even scratch the surface of what there is to know. It's just too much information. I mean, there Absolutely. are people that specialize in hemorrhoidalis. That's <laughs> like their entire life. It's, it's, you know, there's right, a lot to right. learn about these things. So, um, the, um, the, the, the advice that I would give that ties back to that is that I don't really recommend eating anything that you haven't watched for a full turn of the calendar. So uh -huh. if you're going to eat something, especially, you know, something that's new to you, of course, but, um, you want to identify things, not just based on the emerging greens, but on the, the flowers. Now, obviously you know what this is. If you have a photo of it in flower, you can send it to me and I can probably at least steer you in the right direction. The, okay. yeah, their, their, their flower form is going to be how you really primarily ID these. Uh, most of the greens look the same. I mean, I could, I could kind of tell the difference between the hybrids and the fulva in my garden, but you know. I'm someone mm -hmm. who peers obsessively at tiny plants. It's not really helpful for most yeah. people. They're, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're all going to be broadly similar. Yeah, and I definitely wouldn't recommend just combing through the local park or whatever and you know picking the little <laughs> ones that pop up. And of course, the 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 real danger would be that someone would mistake them for iris shoots, which are quite different mm. once you look at them. But they are they have the same kind of um, sort of white parts emerging and then that they form a fan like kind of almost like a real thick flat blade of grass kind of uh, kind of leaf that they form and they're they're not very similar to me but they're definitely similar if you don't know um what's you know what's happening and there's definitely going to be 
irises that emerge at the same time as daylilies and slightly after. Uh, you know, they came out around. Okay, the same so, time. so I think here's my here's my plan based on what you said. I'm gonna I'm gonna look where they're coming up. Mm-hmm. I think I know where they have come up the previous years, but I was never really paying attention to them because I didn't really think about them as edible. Um, yeah, which is which is funny. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to see where they come up so I know what the shoots look like. But I'm not going to eat any shoots this year. But when the flowers come up, I'll send you a picture. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll do my own kind of uh, my own kind of like, you know, identifying stuff that I do. And then we'll, we'll see. If, yeah, if that's great. Yeah, you can always send me stuff try like this. that too. Cool. I mean, I'm, I, this is kind of what I do. So um, awesome. <laughs> this is what I do. It's just people send me really pretty <laughs> photos of mushrooms. Um, <laughs> the, um, yeah, the. That's like a real good axiomatic thing for plants in general, though, is to you want to watch like the whole cycle um, because something mm-hmm. might look, you know, green leaves can be very misleading. The big one for me and, and even goes into smell is that is the hemlock wild chervil thing. So hemlock and wild yeah. chervil, yeah. they grow kind of together in uh, Jersey where I was living and they don't really look that they don't look the same, but they're, they're certainly similar and to the untrained eye, very similar. And in the cooler months when you would be collecting wild chervil leaves, um, a lot of times hemlock will have, won't have that distinctive smell that people recognize and it'll smell Mm -hmm. when it doesn't have that. It smells exactly like wild chervil. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's a kind of an area where if you don't know the plant from first forming leaves to flower, or you can't, you know, reasonably comprehend it either with a guide or by enough resources. You know, I, I tend to wait until something shows me what it what it really is by flowering, by fruiting. Would you like a sunbeam on a rainy day? You can catch a sunbeam when she smiles your way. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing about daylily with me. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? Absolutely. Awesome. So, um, uh, you know, I said there's some similarities here. So when you told me you're going to do daylily, I was thinking about where the daylily grows in my yard. And just a little bit over is another plant that I haven't really, I know this one is edible, but I haven't really experimented with it. And it's also similar even in the name. And that is the Asiatic Day Flower. And I'm sure you would know about ah, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, just really quickly for the audience, uh, Day Flower scientific name Kamalina communis um it is this uh it's kind of like a creeping ground creeps over the ground plant if you have a better description for it and then it has these little purple flowers which are pretty interesting that have um three petals but two of the petals are big and blue and one petal is small and white which is pretty uh, i think a unique thing about the way the flower looks that reminds me of one of my favorite handles from the early days of of Instagram, which was uh, someone's handle was the was Kamalina Communist. 
<laughs> that's good. That's good. I I was looking Just up. I always like to look. Enough. Yeah, I always like looking up the um. <laughs> The meaning behind those names, and this one is another one of the ones where Linnaeus just named it after some dudes he liked, <laughs> and so there was yeah. some there was some Dutch Dutch guys who were the Kamaline Kam- family, and they were famous botanists, and, and that whole genus. Is named yeah, after that, that's uh, that's um. So the 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 one that springs to mind um, for me with Dayflower is Tritiscantia, mm. um, which a lot of people know as the um the indoor plant uh you know very colorful yeah but there's um there are native forms of tritiscantia and they actually have a a much more similar to daylily kind of leaf shape which is like it's almost like a large like you know grass plate but they have a really similar flower if you if you look at them there's a lot of really beautiful uh native varieties so you know, to you know, to the eastern U.S. Um, that's in the same family. So that's then the flower. When you see the flower, you'll see that's. I see. Very, so very in the in the com, Comalinaceae family, but, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, but uh, which I feel like I feel like that used to be somewhere else, kind of like uh-huh. how daylily used to be a lily. It's not anymore. Yeah, I feel uh-huh. like that was. I I almost I feel like they were. You know, they're they're similar in some ways. Uh, Comalina is similar in some ways to me visually and in terms of like the feel of the plant to a lot of the um the polygonaceae so like the um smart weed oh yeah not uh-huh. weeds yeah, like the way plants, the leaf is around of... the the way the leaf is around the stem with this kind of like sheath mm-hmm. around almost grass like is is similar like that yep. right yeah exactly yeah the, the and and the, sort of the the leaves can be kind of sharp sometimes uh com- camelina isn't Usually, it's usually kind of uh, watery. Feels kind of um, uh, squishy. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, almost like a succulent kind of, but not quite on that level. But you know, a little, a little bit on that, like a little bit, maybe close to purslane kind of. Not quite ah, as yeah. it's a little thinner than that. But yeah, that's a really that's a weird weed. It seems to be one of those ones that. Some people just have it in enormous profusion and can never get rid of it, but it's not something you see everywhere. Um, yeah, I have a big chunk of it in my yard, and I don't know if this is another one that was planted by somebody uh, previously or it just popped up in this one area, but every year there's just a whole lot of it. But I've never experimented with eating it, even though I, I've heard that it's edible. Yeah, it's not what I would call... <laughs> Fine it's it's not a bad it's not a bad flavor but it's it's definitely it, it's a good juicy green kind of mm-hmm. a poorer cousin to purslane again you know it's not anywhere near as good as purslane which is probably one of my favorite greens but mm-hmm. um but you know it's it's got that kind of watery kind of crunchy flavor it, it's not a bad flavor it's a fairly mild green it's actually a good green because it is a later spring early summer um, in terms of the leaves. So it, it does uh, have a, a nice availability window that doesn't really, that it's kind of when the, the most of the wild greens sort of start to, uh, you know, flower or peter out or become bitter. So it does have that like kind of like lamb's quarters. It's like a summer green, which is, you know, fairly uh, handy. Cool. So you just use um, it like but, in the, in, in salads or you cook it or what, what are, what's your favorite way to use it? Yeah. I I wouldn't cook it. Um, I mean, so I would only probably pick it from my own garden. Um, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. 
kind of uh i would think it would fall apart cook that mm-hmm. never actually i mean who knows maybe it tastes quite good but but a lot of people cook purslane which sort of is heretical to me i mean i know it's good <laughs> i've had it cooked it's good but i just can't imagine doing anything other than chopping it up with some onions and sumac and olive oil like it's just i can't mm. <laughs> i can't wrap my head around doing anything else with purslane because i love it so much just to eat like yeah. that and but yeah i would i would say it's a salad green probably so definitely one that uh you know is a happy thing to eat when it occurs in your in your yard but other than that i, I wouldn't venture to eat it uh you know again the basic kind of thing raw greens from urban uh, spots would be this is going to be something that you'd find in parks and in landscape yeah it's not really a i've never really seen it you know i seen it maybe creep into the woods but when it was like right next to someone's house i haven't seen it uh you know anywhere really in the in the wild so much and not even really on like old farm fields or things like that uh, although i'm sure it, it you know i'm sure it's there somewhere i think it's an agricultural weed originally so i'd have to Interesting. Uh, i'd have to read up on it but so the one uh, thing so that, what, that, what is it that oh oh, oh go ahead. what were you gonna ask sorry you go ahead oh i was just gonna say what what was it is it the similarity that sort of drew you to talk about it or just a curiosity so at first it was that it's close to the daylily it's also it has the word day in it which i, I thought that was gonna gonna make a good episode title day lily and day flower there you go. um <laughs> Uh, but also, um, one of the fun facts and dazzling details I read about it is is when we were talking about, you know, what you can eat or not. Apparently, it's actually really uh, good at absorbing heavy metals from the soil. And there's been people experimenting with using it mm. to to restore areas that have been contaminated. But it's another reason why you'd want to be careful before eating it, which is one I think one of the reasons when I think about when I first read about it years ago and that I've never eaten it because – I've had this house for five years, but I, I don't really know what happened in the soil. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a residential area. Um, that made me a little nervous. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that as far as when you're thinking about a, a plant like that, that is good at absorbing stuff. Yeah. The soil. I mean, I, I would do, I would do, you know, if you haven't done like soil testing, I would definitely do that. It's, yeah. it's surprisingly easy. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I like I, up in this part of the, country i know um umass has a, a real good program and you, you send them as well but tons of places will do this you know local university science departments will do this and there's a lot of agricultural uh concerns that will do this it's not expensive you know, 15 20 dollars for us you know and you probably want to do you know maybe a few uh, depending on a few the areas the plot, yeah. but yeah, yeah it's 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 worth doing it you can also do some um you know, you can do soil analysis on your own, but um, but in turn, if you're if you have questions on on a real deep level, like you know, you know, I have questions about certain elements of soil quality and certain trace minerals and things like that. But I mean, this was farmland and then a hay meadow for twenty years, and I my partner has owned this property for over twenty years, so I I have a pretty good idea of what's going on, um, and it's not yeah. near anything that would really be contaminant. So. But for a site where you're, you know, where things are in question, I did find a really good site online and I'll send it to you because I, of course, can't remember the name off offhand, but it, it collates uh, aerial photos um, from the ones here go back to, I think, 1905, 1910. Oh, cool. Like that. But uh, it'll, it'll, you can look up your address and it'll show you all the, you know, aerial photos taken of the, 
the property. That could help you um, a little bit because you can at least see if there was ever some kind of real, you know, uh, industry in the area. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Like I, I've, I know a little bit about the history of where I am. Um, uh, and I think it's it was, well, it actually was a, a very close to a Civil War fort at one point. Um, but between that and when it became a residential area, maybe there was actually, I, I actually have some suspicions there might have been some train-related stuff. But I'm also up on a hill, so anything related to a uh, railroad would be mm -hmm. lower. Um, but yeah, yeah that, that's yeah. a really good and point. I, I should. I don't know yeah. why I've not gotten soil testing before. That is a really great <laughs> idea and would be really fun to know. Yeah, it, it's really it's something very easy to do and inexpensive. And, and you, you, know, you'll have, you may come up with some interesting information from it, too. Um, but uh, but yeah, the the um, you know the, there's a lot of good programs available. I just look for one in the area, just look for a local uh, university doing it. But um, but that's a real good, actually, it's another good real general thing to recommend for people is, you know, if you have a piece of land, no matter how small, it's it's kind of important to know the history of it, to know what you know what went on there. If you're going to grow anything edible, even if it's just uh, you know tomatoes. Yep, that's a really great point, and I think a really great way to uh, end this episode of Rootbound. Mallory, thank you so much for joining me on uh, the show again. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to be back, and it's been great to watch your journey, so I've been enjoying it. <laughs> thank you so much. We have heard from Mallory O'Donnell about the modern foraging uses of Hemerocallis, but this flower has been used for much longer than that. From the Rootbound Times, I'm Steve Ellington. This is The Daylily. Today. 1,500 years ago, the Daylily was in common use. I speak to fake journalist Flora Bloom about her recent fake article in the Rootbound Times. Flora, thanks for joining us. No problem, Steve. Happy to be here. What is the ancient history of the daylily? Well, the ancient history of the daylily is deeply rooted in East Asian culture, mm. particularly in China where it has been cultivated and valued for its edible and medicinal properties for centuries. Daylily, known scientifically as Hemerocallis, finds its origins in Eurasia, predominantly thriving in regions like Japan, China, and Korea. Mm. The earliest recorded mention of daylilies dates back to the Chinese Materia Medica in 656 AD, mm. marking the plant's significant role in traditional Chinese medicine and cuisine from ancient mm. times. This period highlights the beginning of the daylilies integration into human use, mm. showcasing its versatility and importance across various aspects of life and wellness. Mm. Daylilies were not only valued for, for their beauty, but also for their nutritional and medicinal benefits. Mm. The plants were used in various forms, mm. from fresh and dried flowers and culinary dishes to roots and leaves for treating a range of health conditions. Mm. Their application in traditional remedies includes using the plant's mm. parts as pain relievers, diuretics, mm. and even as treatments mm. for specific ailments such as insomnia, jaundice, mm. and hemorrhoids. Mm. 
The daylily's enduring legacy in ancient history reflects its intrinsic value mm. to human culture. Mm. This rich historical mm. backdrop sets the stage for the daylily's continued appreciation mm. and use in modern times. Flora, mm. thanks for joining us. Thank you, Steve. Here's what else you need to know today. You need to know that uh, this episode of Rootbound has come to an end. Thank you for listening. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Mallory O'Donnell. Mallory is a wild food enthusiast and cook. You can learn more about Mallory at his website, howtocookaweed.com, or on Instagram, which is Mallory L. O'Donnell. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com slash support to find all the ways you can help support the show, including supporting on Patreon. Rootbound is hosted by the Michael Barbaro of Plant Podcasts, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, find a plant you're interested in and observe it in every season. Sponsored by the Red Hot Chili Peppers! The actual ones, not the band.